0: You're gonna get free this time Falling into a blue sky mind
1: Came to me in that song, my friend I just wanna go back again Because when, when you numb the pain, you also numb the joy And you numb the feeling of like gratitude and pure love and connection to others and yes, there was times where I was like, this is really fucking painful and this is really unfair. And what I've learned is that what, a- what actually is the remedy is connection.
2: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Shriponia's One Breath Podcast, episode 18. And this week's guest is Shauna Crawley. Shauna, thank you so much for the courage, for the vulnerability, and the ease and freedom that we just were able to sit down and have such a wonderful conversation. This week, in addition to talking about recovery from substance use disorder and addiction, We get into an area and discuss the difficulties and challenges of intimate relationships and knowing what it is to be in a healthy, safe relationship. And then the experience that so many people suffering from addiction or substance use disorder, alcoholism, drugs, the difficulty and challenge of knowing how to be healthy in a relationship so stay tuned and enjoy this week's episode so let's take a couple of deep breaths and uh, <clears throat> yeah just ask for the presence of spirit and love and freedom and ease to uh, to guide our conversation Shauna Crowley Thank you for uh, taking the time to sit with me this morning and for another episode of Shriponya's One Breath Podcast.
1: Yeah, that's and my pleasure.
2: Yeah, the reason we're here, if you don't mind me saying, yeah. we have a film coming up next Tuesday called Four Good Days,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which has to do with addiction and the impact on families mm-hmm. and you've agreed to uh, sit as one of our panelists for the discussion following the film.
1: Yeah I feel honored to be asked yeah
2: it's uh, we're so looking forward to it These events have been really special here in Bend. And I, I don't know if you're aware of it, but Haley is going to be joining you as a as, yeah. as a guest. She just told me, <laughs>
1: which feels like very grounding. Right, so I'm right. excited about that. Yeah. yeah,
2: and Haley, for those of you that are listening, I believe it's episode seven, was a guest on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Powerful conversation. Just, yeah. you know, who she is and what she brings to the world is such a gift.
1: Yeah, so. yeah. and she happens to be, I mean, we'll probably get into it, but the first woman... In recovery that I connected with when I moved here. Yeah. So we've had a lot of synchronicity in our stories. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So our location is Central Oregon Mm -hmm. physically. Yeah. But this is going to be available all over the world. So it, it's good to be grounded and yeah. centered here in our, in our bodies and in our chairs. Yeah. And then just be willing to have this be a gift to wherever it goes, yeah. to whoever, whoever has a chance to listen. You had mentioned that Haley was one of the first women that you connected with when you moved to Bend. Yeah. To Central Oregon. How long ago was that?
1: Yeah, so that was the end of 2017, so about six years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I got, I grew up in Eugene, Oregon. I got sober there in 2011. My sobriety birthday is October 9th, 2011. Um, and it's actually kind of a funny story. When I met Haley, I had gone to a recovery meeting and afterwards we all went out to dinner at McMinimins and, she was working there at the time, and Dustin, my partner husband knew her and was like, "Oh, you gotta meet Haley. I think you'd really connect with her and she She was so excited and eager, and I was so I was in the midst of a lot of grief and a lot of transition, and kind of unknowingly closed off and She gave me her number and was like, you have to call me. And I was like, okay. And inside I was like, I'm not going to call her. (laughs) (laughs) And then one thing led to another, and I don't even know we connected. She actually was having a grief circle at her house, and I went. And since then, we've just had this really special, what feels like divine connection, sisterhood through recovery and life. Yeah.
2: You mentioned you were going through a season of grief. Yeah. Had you lost someone or what what were you in the experience of? Because I, I get that sense of hell, no, I'm not calling you. Yeah. (laughs) And being in that place of grief or sadness and just, you know, want feeling like I want to isolate. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. And I was isolating. Um, and that, You know, that's, I think, many of us who are in recovery or have struggled with mental health, I think that's where it leads a lot of us is to isolation. Um, You know, they say it's a disease of isolation. And so when I had about a year and a half sober, I lived in a recovery house still. And I'll never forget the moment because it was so, it was such a pivotal turning point in my life. Um, but I got a call from my mom that my dad had been, my dad had been struggling with something that nobody could figure out. What he had been going to doctors and he had gotten all these various diagnoses um, and depression, PTSD. Like these are kind of the things people are throwing out because he was young, he was 57 and he got diagnosed with young onset Alzheimer's and he was just a beautiful man. Um, he actually, it's, You, your like energy kind of reminds me of him, (laughs) (laughs) which I've always thought like we haven't actually, we don't really know each other that well. I've seen you around. I've been in some circles with you, but I've heard you share and yeah, he had this very grounding, calm, spoke a little softer, a little slower, like very different than the kind of maybe traditional masculine energy that taught that men are you know taught to that they're supposed to be um and he was a psychology professor and he was a lifetime meditator yoga practitioner um very connected to nature very spiritual being and so when he was diagnosed um it happened very quickly and probably within a year of him being diagnosed like he didn't know that I was his daughter, um, the disease had been progressing, but we didn't know it. So, um, long and long story short, um, I ended up making the decision around mm, maybe like four years later to move in with my family and help take care of him, my mom is a caregiver. She's, it's just in her bones. Um, she took care of her dad till he passed away in our home. She took care of my dad's mom. Then she was taking care of my dad and that felt like a gift of recovery. Um, because before I got sober, you know, the nature of, of the disease, I was very selfish and self-centered and, Um, and it felt like a decision that came from something greater than me, that this is where you're supposed to be. And so I moved in and my brother, my brother moved back in and then my uncle, which is my dad's brother moved in and it, we all lived together and it was very chaotic and dysfunctional at times, but so beautiful Mm. and so precious and felt like a privilege in a lot of ways, too. Um, And so he ended up, you know, the end of his disease looked like he couldn't, you know, we had to change his briefs and shower him and do everything. And um, when he died, we were all there. We all slept in the same room. It felt really powerful. It gave me a new relationship with death. Um, and he passed away in February of 2018, February 20th. And I had just moved to Bend December of 2017. So it was a strange time for me. I, I moved here because my husband moved here and he was starting a business, and this is where we were going to build our life. But I felt very torn between these two communities. And um, so I was so grateful to be in recovery. I mean, for many reasons, obviously. But like we have this gift of finding our people wherever we go. And a lot of people don't have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that feels like a real privilege. So I... It felt like a higher power stepped in, offered me Haley and, uh, you know, just these tools that I didn't have access to before. And I had a really profound grieving experience, which I still am, you know, of course it never goes away, but a different way of dealing with death and loss and somebody in another realm and connecting with him in a new way
2: have you ever felt have you gone through in your grief have you ever experienced the that sense of oh fuck it I you know Mm -hmm. I'm 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 in this sadness in this grief in this heaviness you know what's recovery really worth Mm. have you ever experienced that
1: Like forget
2: this. I'm, you know.
1: Yeah, like wanting to. Yeah, wanting to go back out or
2: escape or. Yeah, that's. What has this process been for you? Because often, you know, as we go through different things like this, intense times of grief or sadness or loss, it can either bring us more resolve Mm -hmm. and closer Mm
1: -hmm. to who
2: we are and our commitment to recovery or and other times it can take us flying out into space
1: yeah you know has there
2: been one of those two things
1: yeah that's a good question um I actually haven't ever had that thought amazingly and I think that's because I mean the nature of Alzheimer's is you're watching somebody essentially lose themselves, all the or all of the things that we assign um, to our to what what we think makes us who we are, Um, and so it's a it's a constant grieving of that person losing a new part of themselves or or us losing the things about them that we've connected to or that have anchored us. And, you know, I think the disease of addiction is very similar. Um, We're losing ourselves and we feel powerless. And I did not want to regret being present for him And for my family, because what I learned very quickly is that the only moment I had was like the present moment with him. And what my addiction and disease looked like was constantly trying to escape the present moment because it was so uncomfortable. And so, and then the other gift that I've learned in recovery is that, you know, I've had maybe a, a experience where I tried a a medication for like my mental health or something and I felt disconnected and I didn't like it I was like oh this is what I worked so hard to to get is this disconnection to be numb in my disease and now I know what it's like to feel alive in the full spectrum of the human experience and I don't want to feel numb it actually isn't a comfortable place for me anymore um because when, when you numb the pain, you also numb the joy. And you numb the feeling of like gratitude and pure love and connection to others. And yes, there was times where I was like, this is really fucking painful and this is really unfair. And what I've learned is that what, what actually is the remedy is connection so i i can see if somebody didn't have social connection and support how they would have a different experience and i feel truly lucky and and privileged um that i didn't have to have that experience
2: yeah i um it's been amazing to me. You mentioned, you used the word tribe earlier, that we have the privilege and the, the beauty of being able to, no matter where we go, find our tribe. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, even before I got sober, I was experiencing some challenges with my mental health and life in general. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was still r- right in the you know height of my disease, mm-hmm. but seeing a therapist, in denial of Mm -hmm. course and one of the things that she told me was because i had uh you know my life had fallen apart in the in the in the fellowship or the 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 tribe that i had had for about 20 years just disintegrated Mm. because of my drinking Mm. and Mm -hmm. decisions i made and that was one of the things that she planted those seeds mm-hmm. um you need to find your tribe and it was a I was sober for about three and a half years and I'm sitting in a 12-step meeting
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I and for whatever reason I had the memory of that conversation with her mm. and I'm sitting there and it's like oh my god here they are mm. and of all places I'm sitting in a 12-step meeting with other re- people in recovery, mm-hmm. never, believe, never thinking that this would be my tribe. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I had other ideas of yeah. what my tribe would look like, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that, in that moment, I felt so gifted mm-hmm. to realize that, wow, I'm home. Mm-hmm. And I'm among people who, who know me,
0: mm-hmm.
2: who love me,
0: mm-hmm.
2: without condition. Mm-hmm. And I had never experienced that in my life. And it was a profound moment. So after, after I got out of that meeting, I called her Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and said, Oh my God, Susie, (laughs) I found them. Uh, I've been sitting with them for three and a half years, uh, but I just woke up to the fact that that conversation we had, I'm living it right now. And I'm so grateful.
1: That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I bet she appreciate I bet she doesn't get a lot of calls like probably, that. So probably not. She probably appreciated that. Yeah. 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 And that was part of the <clears throat> difficulty too is that I had a really strong foundation in Eugene and I had a identity there. I had a place in the community. And it almost felt like I was newly sober again because mm. That was it felt like I was starting over, and <clears throat> I'm so grateful for the work that I was able to do to set that foundation because what I learned you know how to build connection with people is through vulnerability, and I think that that's really hard for a lot of people, especially if you have trauma, which I do and you know, culturally, we're just not taught that here. And so all my relationships today, that's what I attribute them to is this honesty and vulnerability reciprocated, a reciprocal relationship based on that. Mm -hmm. And looking at those patterns continuously of what keep us disconnected or keep us from that but yeah that community i mean i work with older adults with disabilities and that is probably the biggest gap is you know no matter what age we are or or how able bodied we are we need we all need community <laughs> And so that's really something I'd love to, um, figure out how to make that more accessible for more people, even beyond just recovery.
2: Yeah, that's, I have an adult son that is 40, just turned 40. Mm -hmm. He'll be 41. And, um, special needs mm. he, he's like a Yoda in the way he loves mm. and yet there are um, you know he has a beautiful family um, he lives with his mom and and my oldest daughter is older sister mm. and he's loved and so cared for mm-hmm. uh, so the work that you do in the world lands for me mm. you know it, it 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 lands for me um our families are are they're a mix they can be a mixed bag mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 so say it nice, <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know they are they're a source of so much of of who we become for sure mm-hmm. but they they you know most for most of us for me my trauma began mm-hmm. at 316 Lum Street mm-hmm. in a little town in northern Michigan and some of my greatest joy and some of my most treasured memories are in the same mm-hmm. place
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you know that the reason I mention that is how how old were you when you discovered drugs or alcohol or it started to, to step into uh, addiction and, mm-hmm. and, and then now that you're where you're at in life, what was the source? What was it that, yeah. that, that led you down that path?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. And honestly, it's, it's interesting because I think as people in recovery we're constantly trying to figure that out and as I tell my story it's like I have a new rendition of it each time I have a new understanding of it a new lens and so right now (laughs) um, you know I'm, I'm in therapy and that's also a gift and a privilege and that I have access to that. <clears throat> so I grew up privileged, two parent households. Um, we didn't have very much money, but my you know, my mom was kind of working class, worked at a restaurant, my dad was going to school to get his PhD have a younger brother five and a half years younger grew up in a 600 square foot apartment in like family student housing and um had community didn't have like really extended family but we had family friends and I actually have very little memories from my childhood and that's frustrating (laughs) um But I always, so when I started using drugs and alcohol and started, and I'll get to kind of how I got down to that road, but I always had so much shame because I had this story that I had been set up for success and I failed and what's wrong with me. I had two parents, you know, I wasn't physically abused, um, why do i keep doing these destructive behaviors what is wrong with me so i always felt this like i'm fundamentally flawed and what i do remember is that i was a very what i call now anxious child i was petrified of people and adults and Um, And yeah, I was very adaptable. We moved a lot and I always made friends and was able to like connect with kids. Um, My mom was an alcoholic. She got sober when I was about eight. Well, she stopped drinking when I was about eight. Um, So of course there's dynamics there. Uh, within the family systems I come from a long line of alcoholism and mental health both of my parents have a lot of childhood trauma and you know they really did the best that they could and I, I genuinely don't blame them for anything and it's kind of that it's an interesting balance right between trying to understand yourself and knowing that like your parents are humans and they're fallible and certain decisions they made were probably not great for you and not blaming them but understanding um and so yeah so there's a lot of I'll just say dynamics um and I just always felt uncomfortable in my own skin like I just always felt misunderstood unseen um, I got the message of like needing to be perfect. and so I did the things to appease the people. I got the good grades. I was the hero child, you know, um, the quiet little girl, the pretty quiet little girl who got good grades um, and had like paralyzing anxiety at times. Mm. And then when I got, you know, a little bit older, I started developing, going through puberty. I kind of developed earlier and I started to get this attention from men that was new, but it like felt good. And I say men because I was a child and they were often men. And, um, and that became a big part of my story and, you know, a big, part of my story is that I never actually really liked drinking I just didn't know how to be in my own skin and so I did that to feel comfortable but I was a blackout drinker and I um, have a lot of sexual trauma so like a big part of my story is getting blacked out drunk waking up next to somebody not knowing how I got there and that immediately reinforced that shame of what's wrong with me I didn't know about alcoholism um even though my mom was an alcoholic like she had her own understanding of that um there was very lax boundaries in my house um I it was very clear to me were, I guess it wasn't clear. I was powerless over alcohol from the moment I consumed it.
2: How old were you?
1: I was 14 or 15. And I was more so addicted to try to, I was almost more addicted to like the feeling I got from attention and constantly trying to feel seen. And that was like the catalyst to that or the gateway to that. And it just perpetuated this cycle of I didn't think I was good enough. I felt like I needed another person to make me feel worthy of love and feeling seen. And I have all these old journals and they're really... eye-opening to what that experience was at the time of how I just thought that that was the anecdote and it just progressed into you know trying other substances ended up in but I still was maintaining that look good that hero child complex I you know was honors in high school, went to college because that's what was expected of me. And my parents were, I don't know, not really paying attention. I'm not sure what was going on there. But in college, I was in two serious relationships that were both toxic and abusive in different ways. And I ended up... Basically being introduced to opiates, one you know the progression. A lot of us have heard that story before. It's nothing unique, but I ended up towards the end of my addiction, I was using heroin and meth, and I just had completely physically. I looked, you know, I weigh about hundred and forty pounds now, and I weighed a hundred and five pounds. And I was, yeah, I looked emaciated. I had lost my mind. I thought people were following me. I was hallucinating, not sleeping in this really um, abusive relationship. And I feel this is another way that I feel just really lucky. Kind of like, why me? Because I had this hope still in me and I had this belief like this is not supposed to be the life that this is not how I'm supposed to go down you know I know that there's something else out there for me I just don't know how to get it and I remember I would sit outside at at this basically dope house I was living in at night and I would be like chain smoking cigarettes and I would look at the moon and I would talk to the moon and I would essentially be praying without calling it that and, like, begging for something to help me. Mm-hmm. And I think that was my first surrender to something greater than myself without having the language for that. And basically my family found out... I mean, I graduated from college sitting on the bathroom floor of my parents' house doing dope. Um, so I really... <laughs> I don't know how, um, managed that, but basically my parents kind of forced me into treatment and that's why that part of my story, I say like somebody doesn't have to be, in my opinion, ready to get sober. Cause I was like, I'm just doing this because they want me to. Um, but I I got there and I found my people and I started to feel seen and be like, oh, this is like what I've been begging for. This is, you know, I felt something there that I never felt before.
2: That is a unique story. Uh, Experience of like going to treatment when you weren't, when you thought you weren't ready Mm -hmm. and then having like grace to use that grace something mm-hmm. show up on your behalf mm-hmm. for you to recognize that, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm right where I need to be right now. Yeah. And then begin to surrender to that. Yeah. But I think I wanted to, uh, you know, I, uh, the relationships,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, I found, I found recovery and, and getting sober a hell of a lot easier so to speak than learning how to be in an intimate relationship mm-hmm. and have it be healthy yeah I I, it has that has been the most difficult part of my recovery and I, I didn't know why for a long time and then in the literature of one of the 12-step programs it says we've got a dilemma and that dilemma is we don't know how to form true partnerships
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so yeah it comes from trauma it comes from learned behaviors from the time we were young Mm -hmm. but that recovery that soul recovery has been yeah I've I've not had like deep cravings to return to a substance Mm -hmm. but learning how to be in relationship and have it have that relationship be healthy and human at the same time Mm -hmm. has been an amazing journey for me yeah and it sounds as though you've been on that path of discovery for yourself
1: yeah yeah and I'm glad you said that because that's exactly how I feel like I everything that you said really resonated the cravings have not been around substances it's been around yeah this old behavior of wanting to feel something that I think somebody else might be able to give me or um yeah and that was the biggest that was the most difficult thing to to recover from so when I went to treatment I didn't actually stay sober after that I, and I had every intention to, and it's so interesting because I think a lot of times other people can see things in us that we can't see in ourselves. So I remember like one of the last, the last week of treatment, we did something and they asked everybody in the group, do you think Shauna's ready to, do you think she's surrendered? And I was like, obviously. And everybody said no. No. And I was like, what? (laughs) Okay. But I wasn't willing to leave that relationship. And I got out and long story short, I found myself in a situation with that person. The substance was there. It was such a profound moment because I did not want to do it. And I was crying and I had it in my hand and I was like begging something for help, and I was powerless, and I had no defense against it, and I did it. I felt instant shame, and the only thing I knew how to get rid of that shame was to do more, and I did more and more and more all night long, and I was back, you know, back to the races, and I ended up, you know, get, I ended up getting, being able to go back to treatment, and, and I did things differently. I did what was suggested. Mm-hmm. Moved into a recovery house. Still hadn't given up the relationship though. <laughs> <laughs> Holding <laughs> on for dear life. <laughs> my, listen, I had a,
2: that therapist I mentioned earlier about yeah. finding my drive. Yeah. She also told me Greg, you are bound and determined to get your PhD in this curriculum. It's, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it, <laughs> it was because it was the same story, maybe a different person. Yeah. But it was just insane.
1: Insanity. And so, I felt...
2: So, and the shame and the... Mm-hmm. I, I was as powerless around relationship...
0: 100%. As I
2: ever was regarding the substances I yeah. put in my body and the effect An impact they had.
1: 100%. Yeah. And I think even people that aren't in recovery, some people can relate to that. I mean, if you have trauma or. Yeah. So it really took other women rallying around me to get out of that relationship. Like I had to have that type of connection and support. And community to feel like okay I can do this and you know step work through 12 step groups and stuff to see those lifelong patterns and I continued kind of so I'm so grateful you know my mentor at the time she said you can do whatever you want as long as you don't get loaded and I'm grateful she didn't say you know, you can't be in a relationship because I genuinely didn't know how to do that. And I was, and she was like, basically just be honest and I could do that. So I did get another relationship day out of treatment, <laughs> literally <laughs> <laughs> lived in the Oxford house down the street. <laughs> um But what was cool is, I got to get to the point, basically, where I was like, do I actually want to be with this person? Or do I just, am I trying to fill that, you know, hole, void inside of me, whatever you want to call it. And it it got to the point where I was like, I don't think I do. And that was a really empowering moment for me because it was like, I have choice.
2: That, wow, Shauna, those moments... Are incredibly powerful
1: mm-hmm.
2: when we actually can begin to find ourselves and and what our real desires are.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I have agency. You yeah. Know? Exactly.
2: A beautiful word. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to just be with somebody because they want to be with me and they check these boxes like who you know what do I want in a relationship and also the idea of not being in one Mm -hmm. for once in my life sounded nice and so I definitely have relapsed on those behaviors at certain times in my recovery but when I met my now husband I never, I mean, he was also in recovery. I never would have gone for somebody like him. I never saw him in that way. Um, he was very, he had a lot of integrity. And that was known in the community. Like, he was a staple among other men. Um, and it was a surprise to me when we connected, because we were just were friends, um, Surface. Level friends. We actually dated other people and had dinner together one time with our other significant others. <laughs> um, That's priceless. <laughs> yeah. Small town vibes. <laughs> but as I began to change, I began to find different things attractive. You know, the sort of arrogance that I used to be attracted to was no longer attractive to me and actually his integrity and how he showed up in community for other people and was dependable and reliable and trustworthy and you know confident without being arrogant like that was what was attractive and that was 10 years ago Hmm. we've definitely had our it hasn't been um you know we broke up for a year and i Relapsed on old behaviors, and you know we've had to find our way here. But we both have a commitment to doing the work and to being in integrity and um, being honest with each other. And I think that's what's sustained us as we continue to grow and go through life and life thrown at us. We have a daughter; she's four. Of the house like and it's not easy you know like <laughs> we've been in couples therapy like <laughs> but that's i'm not like ashamed of that right i'm like oh you know it almost feels naive to think that we could do this without support for the rest of our lives like we want to know how we can grow
2: yeah i, I hate to use sports as a metaphor and analogy but the the best athletes are coached Mm, mm -hmm. and they're willing Mm -hmm. they're looking for that 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 way through whatever is blocking them so yeah I I find community sitting with someone that can speak to me Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: not buy my bullshit Mm -hmm. you know I you know I I'm skilled at (laughs) having people believe everything I say and buy my bullshit
1: we're charismatic and, <laughs> humans,
2: <laughs> and to and to be able to be with someone who can, like, yeah, 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 and then speak <laughs> truth to me,
1: totally, and have
2: it land in such a way that I can see, yeah, the truth is such a gift, yeah. So to be in, to be in the work, to be in that process of growth and evolution, and and be doing it with with your partner, mm-hmm. with your husband what a gift Mm -hmm. and what a message and what a what an opportunity you get to share your humanity Mm -hmm. you get to be honest and authentic with your with your community Mm
0: -hmm.
2: there's nothing to hide anymore Mm -hmm. yeah and so when you speak and share the success and the growth that's for real too
1: right yeah it's so freeing to be able to just be authentic and not have shame around that. I find that to be almost an epidemic of our culture is this illusion of perfection that nobody has and that we all want to be seen in that way. And it's like, what actually makes me feel connected to people is when they're not perfect And they're sharing that, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Yeah. And still to this day, I'm so grateful that I know about trauma and how that, you know, how what comes up in our relationships is always just such a manifestation of these earlier relationships. And I still bump up against that all Mm -hmm. the time. That is not... I wish that that was not there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we get triggered and <clears throat> to have the awareness of that so that we can name it and, you know, in all of our relationships, really friendships, intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. It's the forever work.
2: Yeah, there there are two things in in the path of recovery <clears throat> that I think we probably share. The first is that rigor- willingness mm-hmm. to be honest, open, mm-hmm. and willing, and rigorous, rigorously so.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then uh, showing up in community. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but there is no way in hell I could be sitting here having this conversation with you had I not had people walking by my side and sometimes holding me up when I felt like I was not able to carry my own emotional weight.
0: Totally. You know,
2: um, those two things have been, it's like, I, have been able to come home mm-hmm. to myself and then to, and, and then to my community.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that we have that in common and the willingness to turn toward, you know, you asked me earlier in the conversation, when I was talking about my grief process, if I had the desire to run from it or to escape it. And again, another thing that feels like a privilege and a gift of recovery is, is the willingness to move towards the pain and see it as a teacher and be forever a student I think that if if somebody, you know, my old self, let's say, who was not practiced in that and not taught that, that sounds terrifying and awful. <laughs> and not like a privilege. <laughs> and now I have enough experience. My instinct might be to run from it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not comfortable. But... The proof is in the pudding, you know, like what I know to be true is that there's so much freedom and to get to sit here and feel some level of like confidence and trust in the universe and divine, you know, divinity, however things are playing out, like to not second guess everything I'm saying. Sure. After this interview, I might be like, why did I say that? Or why didn't I say that? Or, you know, natural human stuff I have the tools to like let go and what a gift what a gift
2: yeah yeah we grow along spiritual lines yeah you know yeah and and we continue as long as we remain willing and Mm -hmm. honest Mm -hmm. and open Mm -hmm. uh, we get to we get to continue to grow Mm -hmm. Um, I still have the impact of my past Mm -hmm. the wreckage of my past still sits on a couple of people that I that I love with my all my heart that um, that I I get to continue to live into who I'm becoming and who I am Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and then at some point I hope that there will be an opportunity for reconciliation and restoration of relationships that have been deeply impacted yeah. by those past behaviors. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's and the other thing that we get to get to realize too, Shauna, is I don't have to regret the past.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't have to shut the door on it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I do get to acknowledge it and own every bit of it. Mm-hmm. and trust that there's healing and there's opportunity
0: mm-hmm.
2: to continue to grow.
0: Yeah.
2: Um you know, how how have you been able to look at your past and the and what we refer to in 12 step is the wreckage of our past, mm-hmm. the wreckage of your past and 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 find the gift in it such that it gets to be a gift to not only yourself but to other people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question because I see a lot of people getting stuck there. Like there's a lot, you know, um, almost like a level of hopelessness of like, well, I've already caused so much damage. It's unbearable to face it. And I feel, you know, I got sober at 24 and people say, wow, that's, you know, I get a lot of kind of pats on the back for that. But I actually feel like in some ways that's easier because I didn't have the amount of time and wreckage as somebody who gets sober later in life. Um, That's definitely not to say that I don't have wreckage. But I'll take my brother, for example. If there's anything from my past that still kind of comes up in the sense of if I could take back something, it would be that. It's what I put him through mm. and the impacts that that has on him to this day. Um, that being said, we have a really special relationship today. On my sobriety birthday, actually, on, which was October 9th, he, we ended, I ended up having a rough... Day because of my own head. <laughs> Weird, I know. <laughs> and the end of the, the day ended with him and I having like an hour long conversation and just laughing and him telling me that I was his best friend mm. and that we were kindred <laughs> spirits. And it's like, what? How ugh, amazing. But dealing with the wreckage of my past, I think the first step is just. Looking at it, you know, um, being really honest, and the one of the tools that I didn't have before I got into recovery was the ability to see my part, and in situations that it was not so obvious. And I remember the first time I wrote that down on paper, it was very literal, like how I wrote my part was like I was there, and I, you know, and. And then I started to understand, oh, it's these patterns, like it's this pattern of, you know, I was basically a victim and I was actually a victim of, you know, assault and stuff. And I don't, I'm not trying to say that was my fault, but in these toxic relationships I was in, I was very much held myself in a stance of being a victim of these people and I read in the you know 12-step literature about um, pride and reverse, and that was really profound to me because I was like, oh, I have continuously positioned myself in this place where I'm in relationships with people that have shown me immediately what the, they're capable of, and I continue to try to get something different out of them, and then sit in kind of self pity that I'm not good enough when really they showed me that they're emotionally unavailable and um they've cheated on me over and over again and I'm like well maybe this time it'll be different um and so uh, I'm
2: not oh yeah knowing
1: yeah, laugh the, the, the,
2: it is like oh yeah the laughter is more like I'm ready to weep not yeah not not laugh because good god yeah That's, and yet that, that is so common. That's what -hmm. we do.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'll
2: be different this time.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I truly believed that every time. And so really seeing that through a new lens and taking some ownership was actually really empowering for me because I had been sitting in this place of not holding power for so long. And I think that's kind of the opposite of what most people maybe think is the process. It doesn't, you know, um but that's what happened. It was taking ownership and accountability for my own patterns and now, you know, after being in recovery for a while, being able to let go of some of the shame and realize that a lot of that stems from childhood, but still I was able to then clean it up and one of my most profound experiences with that is that I had a friend who was a very close friend, one of those people that I felt really seen by and um, we were all in the midst of our addiction though and I basically found out that my boyfriend who I was living with was having an affair with her. And it was really traumatic. It felt like such a deep betrayal, more so for the relationship with me and her than with him and that sisterhood wound. And I, that was the catalyst to things getting really bad for me. And I blamed her. I was going to go to my deathbed with that. You know, like, she did that. And how dare she? And we never spoke again after that. And anyway, so... Long story short, I get sober. She fell off the map and I had like a year and a half sober and she popped back up on social media and I had, like I said, I was going to the grave with this resentment and it was like something just came over me and I was like, I should reach out to her and make amends. And that felt like it wasn't from me. (laughs) I did not think I owed her an amends. And and I did. I reached out to her. She said she was willing to have a phone call. I still was like, what? How, am I really doing this? Um, everybody could co-sign that I didn't owe her an amends. And the second I heard her voice, it was like all of that resentment slipped away. And I was able to see my part, which was that basically... After I found that out, I went out of my way to make her life hell. I wanted her to suffer and I did everything I could to try and make her suffer. And what I learned is that she was already suffering a lot and she hated herself for what she did and she was doing everything she could to punish herself and I didn't need to do any more. (laughs) And we ended up having this really cool conversation. We maintained contact. She had gotten sober. I invited her down. I took her to her t- first 12-step meeting. Like, it was wild. And to this day, like we're still in contact. And um, I never would have imagined that, you know?
2: Yeah, that's That those are the miracles Mm -hmm. that show up in our lives if we're willing to walk this path.
1: Mm -hmm. I
2: can't explain it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, when early on on, you hear in in the rooms of 12-step, you know, don't leave five minutes before the miracle. Mm -hmm. And that's what you just shared is such a perfect example of, you know, we don't know when and where, Mm -hmm. but if we're willing... Yeah. And we keep our hearts open. Yeah. And we're home. We find humility. That's, the, that's one of the other yes. things that we have to find is, is humility. Yeah. So that when that, like I'm just going to use almost a biblical term, but when that still small voice of maybe I should reach out, reach out to her
0: mm-hmm.
2: comes, we're willing to examine, wow, where's that coming from?
0: yeah and
2: then when it's time to take action we're willing to do that too and that requires that requires so much humility Mm -hmm. because it's for me it's so easy to excuse justify and defend
0: Mm -hmm.
2: you know in September um, in September I had someone very very dear to me speak some truth to me from their perspective about the impact of my past Mm. Uh, just this september and i've been sober since two thousand and eleven as well wow. and it 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 just it, it was crushing, mm-hmm. just crushing mm-hmm. and i've wanted to reach out and talk but i but every time I had the desire to do that, I would find inside of me that desire to excuse it. Mm-hmm hold the mirror up for their behavior
0: Mm -hmm. and
2: justify or defend. Mm -hmm. And so I've just waited. And two days ago, Shauna, I'm sitting and I had the gift of seeing my part. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Without any defense. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Holy shit. Yeah, absolutely. They would be holding this Mm -hmm. resentment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this pain. And, uh, yeah, uh, how that happens, I don't know, mm. but there's, there's a gift in it. And if there's ever an opportunity for reconciliation or restoration, it's going to come without any feeling on my part to defend, justify, or excuse mm. anything away. Mm. And, um, uh, so now it's waiting for the timing of when and how, or if. Mm-hmm. to reach out mm-hmm. and have a communication but my heart's been brought to that place that you that you arrived at with your friend of uh mm-hmm. wow yeah
1: so freeing. it's
2: the it's the real deal mm-hmm. and it brings healing
1: mm-hmm.
2: um yeah mm-hmm. so thank you for
0: sharing that well thank
2: it. you for sharing your experience with your friend too yeah. because that that just that brought that recent experience up for me mm-hmm. um and it's healing to mm-hmm. to share it
0: yeah yeah um,
2: and to be willing to be like vulnerable and authentic with with the way life is unfolding <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it's a trip <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah.
2: yeah it's a trip for sure yeah
1: you know? and i think that piece about humility i mean that is really the key and and i i talk to people you know through my work or through just being in recovery that still carry so much shame about those experiences and the way they've harmed others and it's just so interesting because i see them as how they are now and i also see i'm i just have this deep knowing i'm like oh but if you stay that those things that have caused you the most pain and suffering are going to be the most helpful to somebody mm. else. Mm. And that really is the best gift. That is how I deal with the wreckage of my past. You know, making those amends to people face to face, of course. but knowing that everything I've gone through has been a gift to somebody else at some point you know my dad gained Alzheimer's I just had a woman who had been sober a while ago reach out to me on Facebook and say her mom got diagnosed and because I shared about that openly she just wanted to reach out you know and um and I knew as I was going through it I was like I know more people are going to go through this and this experience is going to be helpful to them. And that mm-hmm. is something I can hold on to through the pain and suffering of what life throws at us and who we were in those darker places.
2: Yeah. For someone who's listening, that um, that they're in that like valley of decision, they haven't quite come to that place of Wow! I just, man, I need, I need help, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna find it. Mm-hmm. That they're in that place of, well, maybe tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What, what could you offer?
1: Mm. <sighs> yeah. I'm just, I'm feeling for that person because it's such a scary and vulnerable place to be. When you're on the other side of the unknown. And I think what I would offer is just choosing one person to be completely honest and vulnerable with and ask for help. And we never know what that's going to look like or how that's in and we don't and I think that's the human condition we want to figure it all out first and (laughs) we can't and it's just taking one step forward that can propel us into the unknown and that in itself is an act of humility an act Mm -hmm. of surrender is just choosing one person to be honest and vulnerable with and ask for help have that willingness that ounce of willingness that's how I got here and how I continue to be here I think is just one step at a time as much as my head gets in the way and I want to figure it all out it's just one step towards willingness and vulnerability and the truth
0: Mm.
2: and the truth will set you free yeah right
1: (laughs) As cliche as that's, it sounds, that's it's it. true. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's it. Well, it's true. Shauna, thank you so much. Yeah, for sitting here and having this conversation.
0: Thank
1: you. Yeah,
2: and and I'm really looking forward to next Tuesday night when we have a chance to watch the film together. We didn't get into the film a great deal, and I don't think we're missing anything with the conversation we've been able to
1: have. Mm-hmm. So, I haven't listen. actually watched the film yet because I want to be as authentic in mm. my responds to it I, so you know
2: i think you're making a good decision yeah it's it's powerful yeah and uh, yeah so thank you yeah
1: thank you yeah. it's an honor to be mm. to be here and having this conversation It feels important and it yeah. felt safe and comfortable yeah, good yeah yeah that's good Yeah, and thank you for the work that you're doing. And it feels, you know, I was listening to the podcast and looking at all the guests you've had, and I'm like, why me? Like, it feels (laughs) like an honor to be amongst the people that are sharing their stories. Well,
2: that's the answer to your question, why me, is you're part of the tribe. You you are among those that are walking the Mm walk. And Mm -hmm. and then the willing to be a gift to others. That's why. Yeah. (laughs)
1: That's why I'm here. Hopefully it'll help uh, one person, you know? Right on. Yeah.
2: Yeah, thank you, Sean. Thanks, Greg.